I hope that this morning that Christ is your hideaway uh, because <clears throat> he is he is the one hideaway that we can trust in. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis chapter 43. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 43. We'll be there in a minute, but as we have been following the life of Joseph, primarily with the theme this year of being resolved, um, Joseph is definitely someone uh, that we can look to for <clears throat> a resolved life. And um, um, this morning we're going to continue our study uh, with Joseph. And as I was preparing for the message this morning, a, a thought came to me, and <clears throat> it is this. We periodically encounter people that deeply and permanently impact our lives. I, I believe that oftentimes God puts these people in our lives for a reason. <clears throat> and I have had people like that in my life through the years. And I am very thankful for that. As I, again, as I was preparing for this, a, a friend of mine named Joe uh, came to, thought, to my mind. And Joe and I were stationed in the Navy together in Charleston, South Carolina. Uh, in 1980, we, we were both, now that just gave away my age. <laughs> That's young, okay, there you go. Um, you know, age is, age is a mental thing, isn't it, right? We were talking about that this morning. Age, age is here, okay? Now, our bodies don't always agree with that, but um, anyway, uh, Joe and I, uh, we were stationed in, uh, Charleston, South Carolina in 1980 when we met and <clears throat> we became friends. And Joe was from a, a little town in Florida called Yuli, Florida. Anybody ever heard of Yuli, Florida? Okay, it's right on the Georgia-Florida border. Uh, just just north, uh, or yeah, it would be just north of Jacksonville, uh, Florida. Uh, and we would, on weekends when we both were duty-free, periodically we would drive down to Yulee, Florida, and we would spend the weekend with his folks. And <clears throat> and um, Joe was one of these guys that was a deep and permanent impact in my life. But his impact <clears throat> was deeper than just being a friend. As as we would go down and visit his parents and his family. Um, his family was probably, at that point in my life, probably the best Christians I had ever met in my life. They, they walked the walk, if you know what I mean. Uh, there was nothing phony about them. And they loved me unconditionally. They brought me into their home. They fed me. And you have to understand, I wasn't saved at the time. And <clears throat> the old adage, uh, you know, whenever somebody refers to foul language, they always talk to them about the language of a sailor. Uh, guess what? I had that kind of language. But yet they, they loved me anyway. And they showed the, Christ, the love of Christ in my life. And that, that family impacted me so much at the age of 19. Later, 
when Joel shared the gospel with me. He shared, the, he shared <clears throat> uh, John chapter 3 and verse 16. And we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But God, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Joe explained to me for the first time in my life that God loved me. And I had a hard time with that because I knew, I knew me. But between what Joe had said to me and what I had seen in his family, I started to recognize the love of God in my life. And it had a huge impact in my life. <clears throat> God used Joe and his family to eventually bring me to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when I think of Joe and his family, I, uh, I think of John chapter 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment give I unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. The truth is, there are people in this room, and I'm not going to name any of you, because if I missed someone... I, it would be not good. <clears throat> but honestly, there are people in this room who have impacted my life. I, I guess I can say one of them, my mom back here. So, it, you know, she impacted me with a belt um, <clears throat> <clears throat> many times. Uh, but, uh, but seriously, there, there are people around us that God brings into our lives to impact us. That, uh, that permanently impact us. <clears throat> the title of my message this morning is this, The Impact of Love. The Impact of Love. There is nothing that I know of that impacts our lives more than love. John chapter 3 and verses 16 and 17. I told you we'd, we'd, we'd get there in a minute, but for God so loved the world, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The word love here, if you would back up a verse, if you would, please. Um, the word love here, for God so loved the world. That, that Greek word is the Greek word agape. The, the, word, the Greek word agape is the, the word for unconditional love. There is no scenario, there is no circumstance, there is no reason why God cannot love someone. Even the worst of the worst, God can love. Let me rephrase that. Even the worst of the worst, God loves. The word gave here, the word gave here, for God so loved the world that he gave. That The word gave here uh, is, is, the, is not just the fact that he gave uh, something, 
The word here gives the idea that he gave something very, very precious. So he, not, he did not just give something, but he gave something that meant everything to him. The most precious thing that God had, God gave. The word sent means to, to be dispatched with purpose. So what is the purpose that God gave his very precious son? The purpose of all of this is so that we can have everlasting life. The impact of love. Let's look at Genesis chapter 43 and verse 19. And by the by the time we are in chapter 43 here, uh, Joseph is is the second most powerful man in Egypt, probably the second most powerful man in the world. And <clears throat> he is in control of the food in Egypt because they're in the middle of a drought, and people from all over the world are coming to him. And <clears throat> Joseph's brothers had already been there once, and they have gone home, and he re- and he. he he told them, don't come back unless you bring your brother Benjamin with you. Genesis chapter 43 and verse 19, it says, And they, and they came near to uh, the stewards of Joseph's house, and they can, communed with him at the door of the house and said, Sir, <clears throat> we came indeed down at the time uh, the, at the first time uh, to buy food, and it came to pass uh, when we came to the end that we opened our sacks and behold every man's money was in the mouth of his sack and our money is uh, full weight and we have brought it again in our hands and the and other money have we brought down in our hands to buy food we cannot tell who put our money in our sacks and he the steward said Peace be to you. Fear not. Your God and the God of your fathers have given you treasure in your sacks. I had your money. And he brought Simeon out unto them. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity we have to spend time in your word. We ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, and that you would strengthen us. We love you and we thank you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Joseph's steward. When the brothers come in and they, they explain, hey, look, we got back home. We had all this money. We don't want to, you guys have already accused us of being spies. Now we don't want to be accused of being th- thieves. Thieves? Thefts? Thieves? Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Let, let me stop here. Let me explain. Yesterday, those of you that are regular people in our church understand, uh, yesterday I had a really bad migraine yesterday, so my brain is running about 70% this morning. So um, please forgive me for any uh, reading issues or, or talking issues. Just kind of ignore all the bad things. But... Um, Boy, that didn't sound good, did it? <clears throat> anyway, you know what I mean. <clears throat> um, uh, 
so so they come they come to Joseph's steward's house and they and they explain because they they don't want to get accused of being thieves. So they explain everything and it is an amazing statement what the what what the, the what, what the steward says. He says basically he says relax, God's in control. And it was God that provided for you. Point number one this morning, the impact of love. Love that impacts the people around around him. The love that impacts impacted the people around him. Joseph's brothers, again, had traveled all the way back, and they had a, they had a problem. Well, actually, they had three problems uh, or, or, or obstacles, if you would, to get over. Number one, they had to explain to the, uh, fish, the government officials how they had all that money. Number two, they, ha- they needed to uh, secure uh, Simeon's release from prison. And, but the most important thing was they had to keep Benjamin safe because they had promised their father that they would do that. So they had these, these obstacles that they had to overcome. So what do they do? They go straight to the steward and they explain everything. And his response, I love his response, hey, just relax, God's in control. And so often in our lives, as life happens, in our, and it does happen, we need people around us to just say, hey, take a, take a deep breath. God's in control. Now, why is it so significant that the steward says what he says? You know, for for us today, uh, you know, with many of our friends, it, it may not be a significant statement, but you need to understand who this guy is. He's an Egyptian. And... He is from a completely different culture. Look at, look at uh, fast forward a little bit and look down at verse 32. This gives you a glimpse into the culture between the Egyptians and the Hebrews. Uh, and they sat down, or, or excuse me, and they sat on, um, on for him by himself and for them by themselves. Okay, <clears throat> basically... Uh, well, I, I'm, I'm fast forwarding here, but we'll get back. We'll, we'll backtrack and get to it. But they're sitting down to eat a meal. So basically, okay, let's read it again. And they, and they, and they set on, on for him by themselves and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians, which did eat with him by themselves because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews, for that is an abomination unto the Egyptians. So basically what is happening here is, if you go back and read it again, is Joseph is eating by himself, his brothers are eating by themselves, and the Egyptians are over here eating by themselves. Joseph could not eat with the Egyptians. Now think about this. It says here that eating with a Hebrew and an Egyptian is an abomination. That's a strong word. 
That is a word of, of uh, 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 means vile or loathsome. And now, now think about this. Joseph is the second most powerful man in Egypt. But yet he cannot eat but by himself. He can't even sit down and eat a meal with his own family, his wife. Think about that. This had to be a really lonely guy. But the the cultural difference, so the significance that this, this Egyptian is saying, hey, don't worry about it. God is in control. It is, an, it is a significant statement coming from an Egyptian. Not only, not only did the Hebrews and Egyptians not get along, but the Egyptians were polytheistic. Now, that's a big word. Uh, polytheism means many gods. So they were a culture of many gods. Uh, everything could be a god to an Egyptian. Frogs were a big one. But they, I mean, they worshipped all kind of stuff. That was the culture. So let's go back and look at what the, what the Hebrew, or excuse me, what the Egyptian tells these Hebrew boys, or men, they're, they're men. But what does he say to him? God is in control. The word, the word God that he uses is the Hebrew word Elohim. The word Elohim means the superior being or the creator of the universe. It is, it is the name of God, the God. And here a pagan is telling these Hebrews, don't worry about it, Elohim, the God of heaven, is in control. This is, an, this is a significant statement. Question. <clears throat> Where do you think the steward learned about Elohim? Had to be Joseph. There was no other way. And Joseph had to have spent time sharing the love of Elohim with his steward. I dare say, more than likely, with more than just his steward. And you might ask, well, how, how do we know that? Well, we know that because of what the Bible tells us. Go back in your mind, those of you that have been in this study, in Genesis chapter 39, he, was, he worked in the house of a guy named Potiphar. He was the steward for a guy named Potiphar. Let's listen to the words of Potiphar in Genesis chapter 39 in verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Now, pay attention to this verse because look at the word Lord twice in this verse. What is significant about or what is different about the word Lord than all the rest of the words in the verse. It, it capital, every word is capitalized. That is the word Yahweh 
or Jehovah. Here, Potiphar, a high up government official in the Egyptian government, recognizes Jehovah God. Where do you think he learned that from? Had it been Joseph. What about when he was in prison, the, the, the prison warden? Same thing, Genesis chapter 39 and verse 23. And the keeper of the prison looked not on anything that was under his hand because the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, the Lord was with him and that which he did, the Lord made to prosper. Same word, same reason. Joseph shared the love of Jehovah God everywhere he went. Joseph's love for God was contagious. And as I sat at my desk and I was, the, the realization of all of this was starting to, to come, come together in my head, the Lord put a thought in my heart. Is the love that I have for God contagious to the people around me? That's a powerful thought. Do people look at my life and say, you know what, there's something different. No, they do think I'm different, but that's not what I, that, that's not what I mean. You know what I mean. Do people see the love of God in my life? They did in Joseph's life. Do they see it in our lives? Is your love for God contagious? Ephesians chapter 5 and verses 1 and 2 says, Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. John chapter 13, verse 35. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. What does your love look like this morning? Is it the kind of love that has a deep, permanent impact in the lives of others? I have experienced that kind of love through Joe's family. And it made an impact in my life. And I believe with all my heart that that was one of the things God used in my life to get me to the point where I understood the salvation and made a decision to follow Christ. Point number two. Let's talk about unconditional or agape love. Start reading in verse 24. And the men brought the men unto Joseph's house and gave them water and washed their feet and gave their asses provider, and they made ready the present again against Joseph uh, came out at noon, and they heard that they should eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him 
the present which they <clears throat> which was in their hand into the house and they bowed down excuse me they bowed themselves to him in the earth and he asked them for their welfare and said is your father well the old man of whom ye spake is he yet alive and they answered thy servant our father is in good health he is yet alive and they bowed down their heads and made obeisance and they lifted up excuse me and he lifted up his eyes and saw his brother benjamin his mother's son and said is this your younger brother of whom you spake unto me and he, <clears throat> and he said god is gracious unto thee my son and joseph made haste for his bowels did yearn upon his brother and he sought where he <clears throat> and he sought where to weep and he entered into his chamber and wept there and he washed his face and went out and restrained himself and said set on bread joseph <clears throat> here was in no way trying to punish his brothers. He is only interested in demonstrating agape love, unconditional love. Joseph had no ulterior motives. In fact, the reality is Joseph wanted to celebrate. Look at verse 16. Go back and look at verse 16. Same chapter, verse 16. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the ruler of his house, Bring these men home and slay and make ready, for these men shall dine with me at noon. As I, as I was thinking about this, and I, I was thinking about this idea of, of unconditional love, my thought, and, 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 and reading verse 16, my thought went back to a story in the New Testament that we call the prodigal son. The prodigal son is a story of a young man who, who wanted his, his inheritance now. So he goes to his father, and, and if you understand Hebrew law, um, what he did was lawful, okay? He, he had the right to do this. This always is very seldom as it's smart, but it was lawful. But he went to his father and says, hey, I want my in inheritance now. So his father gave him his inheritance, and he, what did he do? He went out and he just blew it. With uh, The Bible says uh, riotous living. Um, so he goes out and he blows his, his, his inheritance, and he finds himself eating and feeding pigs. Okay, now again, you've got to understand, this is a Hebrew kid. What do, what do the Hebrews think of pigs? They, they, they have nothing to do with them. And here this Hebrew young man finds himself not only feeding pigs, but eating with pigs and sleeping with them. And then he realizes, you know what, I can go home and be a servant of my father and be, have, have better conditions than this. So he decides to go home, apologize to his father. But before he has a chance to apologize to his father, as, his, as he's coming up the road, his father sees him 
coming up the road. Let's read in Luke chapter 15 and verse 22 and following. It says, But the father said unto his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be merry, for this our son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. What what is the story here? The story is a, a story of joy, of a son that had gone astray. But when he came home, the joy of the father. And here, you, you in, in, in Genesis chapter 43, we have a similar situation. Joseph was sold to, into slavery by his own brothers. And now Joseph has the opportunity to to kill his own brothers if he wanted to. He was the second most powerful man in the country. All he had to do was say, or he didn't even have to say anything, just do like that, and they were dead. But what does he do? He brings them into his home and prepares a feast. Joseph wanted to celebrate unconditional love. It caused me to think about something. What do we do when we get hurt by someone? We want retaliation, do we not? We want them to pay for what they did to us. But Joseph wanted to celebrate the return of his brothers. Genesis chapter 37, verses 6 and 7. And he said unto them, Here I pray you this this dream which I have dreamed. For behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. So in Genesis chapter 43, verse 28, fulfills the dream that Joseph had in Genesis chapter 37, verses 6 and 7. But as I was reading this, I see within the brothers a calmness that in previous passages is not there. In previous passages, um, the brothers are almost in panic mode everywhere they go. But when they're in the house of Joseph and they're, they're getting ready to eat this meal, there seems to be a calmness. And as I thought about that, I thought, you know, unconditional love calms fear. And fear and faith, there seems to be a link between fear and faith. We noted last week that there had been, seemed to be some growth in the life of Joseph's brothers. 
When we have great fear in our lives, it is almost always because we have little faith. Is that not true? But when great faith is evident in our lives, we have probably a lot of peace and comfort in our lives. Joseph was a man who experienced or or, uh, demonstrated would be probably a better word, uh, a, a lot of faith. And he had peace in his life. Did he, do you think Joseph had, had trouble? Absolutely. He was the second highest government official in the land. He had to deal with problems all day long. But he had a peace about him. And now his brothers are starting to see this peace and experience it. Look at, look at verse 34, the last sentence in, in, in verse 34. And they drank and were merry with him. Those are not people experiencing fear. Those are people that have understood peace and comfort. Because you can't have a great time if your stomach's all torn up in knots, can you? Can't be done. Mark chapter 5 and verse 36, as soon as Jesus heard the words, uh, the word that that was spoken, he saith unto the ruler of the synagogue, be not afraid, only believe. See, our belief and our fear are tied together. Mark chapter 4, verse 40, and he said unto them, why are you so fearful? How is it? You have no faith. As I look at these verses, I see Joseph's family overriding, or, or Joseph's Joseph's faith, if 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 you if you would, overriding the hatred that his brothers had for him. Unconditional love can do amazing things in in our lives. It is only when we love unconditionally. In in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, it says, uh, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not charity. The word charity here is the word agape. Okay? Unconditional love. So he says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels and have not agape, I am become a sounding brass and a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the prophecy to understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have not faith so that I could remove mountains, and, or excuse me, and though I have faith, um, have all faith so I could uh, uh, remove mountains and have not agape. I am nothing. Get a hold of this. Without love, we are nothing. And though I bestow all my goods 
to feed the poor. And though I give my body to be burned and have not agape, it profiteth me nothing. Agape love. There are three primary words in the New Testament for the word love. English, we have one word. In the Greek, there's primarily there's there's probably a couple more, but primarily there's three. The first one is the word eros, which means physical love. The second one is phileo love or or brotherly love. And then there's agape, which is unconditional love. But one of the things that <clears throat> I have found interesting in the Bible, whenever the word Love is a command. It is always the word agape. It is never phileo or or eros. We are always commanded. when, When we are commanded to love in Scripture, we are always commanded to have unconditional love. Do people around us See us demonstrate agape love. Or is our love conditional? Most of us live in a world where we we love only to be loved. That's what the world lives. That's that's how the world lives. What can I what can I get out of it? The impact of love. We saw we saw the love that impacted the people around him. We saw the unconditional agape love. And then number three, in closing, I'll be. This is just a very quick point here, but something that I th- I think is very important. Four little things. Four little things. Thank. Say what? Okay, what? That, that that makes no sense. Well, just just hang with me for a second, okay? <clears throat> Look at verse thirty-two. And they sat on him, by himself, and for them by themselves, and the and for the Egyptians which did eat with him by themselves, because the Egyptians might not uh, eat bread with the Hebrews. For this, excuse me, for that. Uh, is an abomination unto the Egyptians. And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright, and the youngest according to his youth. And it marveled, uh, um, and, uh, and the men marveled one to another. Verse 34, And, and he took and sent messengers unto them, from before him, but Benjamin's mess or Benjamin's meal was five times uh, much as any of theirs, for they drank and were merry with him. Here we see <clears throat> some things that oftentimes get overlooked. Four little things I want to look at and hopefully be an encouragement to you. On Sunday night at our church on Sunday evenings, one of the things that we do is we have a time of testimony where we just share things that God's doing in our heart and lives. 
And, 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 and it's, it's always a time of great encouragement to me because, because I love to see what God's doing in other people's lives because I know what God's doing in my life, but I don't always know what he's doing in other people's lives. So it's always a time of encouragement to me. But one of the things that I found over the years that we've been doing this is that someone will periodically say, God did something really special in my life, but it was a small thing. but it was really special to me. And there are times in my life that I would agree with that. God does little things that nobody knows about, just God and me. Sometimes I honestly, I hadn't really even prayed about it, but God does something really special. And God does those things to remind us that we are special. Now, I do want to say this. is there such a thing as a small prayer burden or concern to God? No, there there is no such thing as a small prayer or, or burden. Every prayer, every concern, every burden is important to God. We are the ones that categorize them as being big and small. But to God, they're all the same. But I want to share with you four hints that we in, in this chapter that we just read, four things that God, uh, or that, 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 well, I believe God did, but through Joseph, four hints to the brothers that Joseph was who he said, uh, well, that, that there were four hints that revealed who Joseph really was. Because they didn't know who Joseph really was at this time. They, they just thought he was some high-up government official. Because we, we learned last week that all his communications thus far have been through interpreters. So they, they, they haven't heard his voice, and, they, and they've only seen him from a distance. But there have been four hints that the man sitting there was their brother Joseph. The first one is that Joseph was physically shaken when he saw his brother Benjamin. He was so moved with emotions that Joseph had to leave the room and weep. And then he had to wash his face and come back in. Why Benjamin? He's got 11 brothers. But why is Benjamin so special? Well, I'm glad you asked. Benjamin is so special because the 10 older brothers, okay, yeah, the the, the 10 older brothers were only half brothers. They all had the same dad. All, All 12 brothers had the same dad. The first 10 had different mothers. But Joseph and Benjamin were number 11 and 12. And they had the same mother. So Benjamin is Joseph's full biological brother. And he, and, he, and, and he was his younger brother on top of that. So he so desperately wanted to see, wanted to see Benjamin. So that's hint number one. Hint number two, Joseph ate alone. It should have, it should have keyed in their thinking, wait a second. 
Why isn't he eating with the rest of the Egyptians? Because he was a Hebrew. The third hint is that, I believe it is in, hold on, verse 30. Yeah, verse 33. In verse 33, it says, he, he sat them according to their birthright. So in, in our house on Thanksgiving, you can talk to my daughter and son-in-law about this. My wife, why she does this, I don't know, but she puts name plates, little name tags, at, 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 and so we all know where we're sitting. So in a sense, this is what Joseph did. He made them sit at the dinner table according to their birthright, the oldest to the youngest. Look at verse 33, the end of verse 33. It says, and the men marveled one to another. How did they know? How did they know? Because Joseph told them. The fourth hint. And this is probably the most telling. Is Benjamin received five times more food than the rest of them. That should have been a red light or, you know, something. Four little hints that gave away Joseph's identity and they missed all four of them. Actually, there's a fifth one. And that is that Joseph's steward used the Hebrew word for God. That should have told them something. Because he could have only learned that word from a Hebrew. Why are these things so important? Four little things. Why, why are the little things important? It's because <clears throat> sometimes in life we miss the little things that God does in our lives. And we need to allow God the opportunity to work in our lives. The big things and the small things. The insignificant things, the things that oftentimes don't seem important, God says are very important. But we we miss them because we're not looking for them. Let me close with this. Joseph This day in Joseph's life was a wonderful day. Joseph was excited. He finally got all his brothers together. And he didn't didn't retaliate against them. But I want to go back to the title of the message, The Impact of Love. The impact of love that permanently and deeply impacted the lives of his brothers. The love that impacted the people around him. Do we have that kind of contagious love like Joseph did?
where it, it not only impacted his brothers, but it impacted everybody around Joseph. Is that the kind of love that we have? The second thing that we talked about was the agape love, the unconditional love. No matter what his brothers had done to him, that was in the past. Joseph was going to move forward. Unconditional love. How well do we demonstrate that kind of love? And then the four little things. The little things in life that God does that makes us special. Never forget them. But praise God for them. Because you are special. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for your love and for the work you do in our lives. And Lord, as we bring our service to an end, I ask that you would speak to our hearts because this subject of love is life-changing. Not not just for us, but for the people around us. And as as I, I mentioned at the beginning, this family that demonstrated this kind of love for me, I believe was instrumental in me eventually becoming saved because of unconditional love. Thank you for loving me and dying for me. Thank you for the sacrifice that you made for each of us, your only begotten son, just for me. Help us, dear God, to walk with you. With everything.